Hello, welcome to the next episode of SimTalk, a member of the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network. You can find more podcasts at brokenjars.xyz. Today we have with us Bill Norgren of FlexSim. Bill, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you doing, Jacob? Oh, it's <laughs> it's been a day, but we're here. We're going to do a great podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you know, who you are, where you went to school, what you've done in the past, how you've gotten to where you are now. Yeah, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I started started back in 1987 uh, when I was a graduate student at BYU. Uh, my professors was Charlie Harrell, who uh, had developed a simulation product uh, during his doctorate degree uh, studies over in in Copenhagen, and approached uh, me and another graduate student if we'd like to start a company with them, which ended up starting up its pro model. Um, mm-hmm. Software was DOS-based, you know, pretty basic character graphics. And so being naive and uh, not knowing any better, we decided to start a company <laughs> and uh, didn't realize what it entailed, but we learned pretty quickly kind of the ins and outs. I remember the first winter simulation conference I went to back in uh, 80, it was 1988, San Diego. And... Uh, was setting up our booth and we had we had purchased a big styrofoam board and we printed out our logo on a bunch of eight and a half by 11 paper and we glued it on the styrofoam to make, try to make this big sign and as we drove from utah to california the humidity changed and all those papers <laughs> peeled off the board <laughs> we had nothing really to put up in our booth and it was pretty humiliating and uh, i remember neighbor law came up to me and said uh Hey, I'm Abel Law. How are you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. He goes, uh, do you know who I am? And I said, I have no idea. And uh, got acquainted with him at that point. So um, starting out, you know, being about 28, 29 years old at the time, uh, new company, uh, it was fun. So I stayed with ProModel until about 1992. Uh, at that point, I left and uh, wanted to get more into the 3D aspect of simulation. And I partnered up with a uh, group out of out of the Netherlands uh, called FNH Simulations. Uh, Dick Hillen, Robert Flutert um, had a product they called Taylor Two at the time, and uh, I reintroduced that product into the market um, a little bit. At that time, you know, it was uh, a little easier going than it is now. The simulation was a pretty exciting topic, and so we got that we got that going, and in 98 about we uh rewrote the engine and made it an object oriented uh format yeah the 3d under windows um which was quite an experiment at the time it was one of the first object oriented softwares i think the only other one out there at the time was simple plus plus uh mm-hmm. at the time and so dick hillen who's kind of the head programmer of fnh he created the product but he left it um it was uh uh, boy, it was pretty basic. He had a library of about 300 objects that you would just pull out and, and build. You know, if you wanted to build a processor, you'd pull out a process time or a delay, mm-hmm. and you'd pull out a downtime and connect it all up. And it was a little bit, a little bit uh, daunting for the, for, you know, first user to build stuff. So right, we, it's kind we, of like how so, Arena is was. Yeah, yeah. So we we decided over here in the U.S. to develop what we called super objects that you could build a processor that had all the the downtime and the, the sending 
you know, where, how are you going to send it? You know, all the different things with pick lists and things to make it a lot easier to use. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cliff King and myself, who was part of F&H at the time here in the, in the U.S., spent a lot of time developing a lot of those objects. And uh, it really turned out to be a pretty good product. Um, in 2000, F&H sold their company to a company called InControl. It still, still owns the product. They call it Enterprise Dynamics now. Um, at the time that they bought the company, um, we at that point really weren't too interested in, in partnership with them and moving forward. And so, uh, we decided to, in our, all of our experience we've had over the last 15 years in the simulation, decided to create a new engine, which is current flexing platform at this point and, uh, started from scratch and redesigned our own graphics engine, 3D graphics engine, as well as the, uh, the product. And the idea behind Flexum initially was to create a development environment that you could build simulation products. So if you built the foundation and the engine to develop, you know, interfaces and GUIs and mm-hmm. objects, uh, you could go into any niche market, you know, into the healthcare market, for example, or into the container terminal market, or into the mining market. And you could build a product that was uniquely designed for that market. Uh, it, wasn't, it wouldn't be a general purpose product, but it would be one that would be a lot easier to build models in those industries. And so we kind of took that approach. First product we built, obviously, was a, a manufacturing product that we could sell that was similar to the other products out on the market. And then we, uh, we started building some niche market products. Uh, we built a container, container terminal product we called Flexum C-Key and uh, subsequently, have sold that to Moffat Nickel, who now manages that product and sells it in the container terminal industry. We had some mining uh, IP and some some different development we did in the in the mining industry that we sold to RPM uh, down in Australia, and now incorporates that into their mining software. And have, have done some great things with that in that in that area. We've also developed our healthcare product, uh, Flexum Healthcare. That again has a whole different interface and a methodology of building models mm-hmm. and our standard uh, general purpose software does. So um, we kind of found out pretty quickly though that uh, you know selling a product that was a development product for others to build products with um, companies that had that capability were few and far between. And so it kind of turned out to be we were building the products. Uh, we have a, a couple distributors who have built modules that we put in Flexim. Uh, like Talamus in the Netherlands, our partner over there has built a Flowworks uh, component to our software that does all the continuous you know, pipes mm-hmm. and tanks and, right. and LNG and all that kind of stuff that we add as a as a module within Flexing. And so we've had you know limited outside development. And uh, at this point, um, in Flexim's kind of maturity, um, we're really looking at we kind of we kind of look at niche market. Things like, for example, a few years ago, we developed some pretty intensive conveyor module stuff that really handled a lot of the, the conveyors out there. There was a need for that in the industry, mm-hmm. and so we, we handled that. And so we kind of really beefed that up. We also built a real nice AGV module that uh, handles a lot of the uh, AGV logic and paths and that's going to be things that are hard going to forward. I think is yeah. a lot of autonomous stuff is happening right now, especially in my world. Yeah. So, you know, and then we, we got into, uh, you know, a lot of different ways of handling logic and different modules. And mm. we've developed a process flow module that allows you to 
program a lot of model logic and so you know a lot of times individual objects need special logic uh, to kind of how they work but a lot of times you need to be able to control how a part moves through the system and and different tasks that need to be on it and so you need the logic maybe to control the part and not really the machine and so uh, machines kind of do their things when the part gets there but you need the part to say you know i need to go here i need to go here i need this done i need these three things done but maybe not in any specific order but i need them all done and when I'm done, I can wait till something else is done, and then I can move forward. And so when you get that kind of logic, it gets a little difficult in an object-oriented environment to, to program that stuff without some kind of uh, facility to, to build logic to control multiple things at one time. And so the process flow module was developed, and uh, it's really, really been a successful uh, addition to Flexim. Mm -hmm. That was released. We, we started the development of that clear back in about 2006, and probably in 2013, 14, had some good beta uh, releases of that, and then officially released that in about 2016. And so, uh, you know, the latest latest things we're, what we're working on now is a lot of uh, autonomous type things, like with our A-star logic that uh, controls uh what we call task executors, which are, could be operators or fork trucks or AGVs, where you can add, add uh, these objects into an A-star network and it, it will be self-navigating through the boundaries of that network. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to put out path points. So a lot of these autonomous you know, robots that like uh, Amazon uses to move things around you know, to stations where they do picking, uh, they use a lot of those autonomous robots that work on a grid system that have to find their way from you know where the, the product is stored over to the packing station and back. So um, that A-Star network is, is really good for handling those types of situations. We combine that now with a, a new people module that we've released that allows you to do you know the walking of people through an A-Star network. So you can do people through uh, you know gates and, and mm -hmm. if you're simulating a subway system or something like that, people flowing in and out, you know things like that that, that they can have you know, collision avoidance where they have to walk around each other so you can get a real impact of, of how many people you can move through an area without right. gridlocking it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so a lot of good, a lot of good stuff. Like that. So um, what, um, what, what is like the base simulation engine? What, what kind of programming and stuff goes into that? Because I think a lot of people, I mean, I don't even really understand like the basic, you know, engine underneath yeah. software. Yeah. So we have we have kind of two things. We have an engine that's programmed in C++.net. That's the underlying uh, language that the software is built in. And so the engine controls like all the time-based events. It controls you know functionality. So if you if you have a a pick list that you want to put in that's got some underlying functionality or a routine or something, that's kind of put in the engine. And then you're giving given variables that we create that's called in FlexScript. That's a subset of C++, kind of a compiled set. Mm -hmm. So you have function. So you can use use a word like um, cycle time, and then you can put parameters in that function that could reference, you know, maybe the the mean value, maybe the the distribution, the standard deviation, the stream variable, and other things that go in that. So in FlexSim, you'll have hundreds of functions that have parameters that you can you can call. So for example, 
if you want a task sequence or if you want an operator to pick up something, you know, carry it somewhere and drop it off, you'd build a task sequence um, that would be a travel task and then a load task and then another travel task and then maybe an unload task. And you would build those with FlexScript with the, with the event task variables and the, and the create task and the execute task variables kind of under the scene. So um, when you're building objects, you're using the FlexScript. When you're building engine capability, you're using C++.net. So mm-hmm. it's kind of two. It's kind of two levels, and all the all the language that we use when we build, a, say, a processor or a conveyor, a lot of that is is open source. So a user can go into that and look in the tree and look at the code that was used to build that object that was built in FlexScript. Okay. Um, and so that that code will reference you know functionality that's in the engine. So right. Um, and so. It's kind of a two-level tier, and so the interface is all built that way too with FlexScript. So if you want to build a combo box or you want to build a pull-down menu, you've got FlexScript, you know, variables and functions that help you do that. And so mm-hmm. you, you know, when you build your own object, you can build your own GUI for it as well. And so, but most most users don't do that. Most users just want a product that they can use. And so they just use our standard stuff. You know, the ones who really have special stuff they need to do, they can go in and actually make anything they want at that point. Right. So, I mean, you've been involved in the development for a long time now. Is there, was there any specific like technology advancement or like PC advancement where you're just like, wow, now I can really do what I want to do? It was, yeah. was there like an inflection point in technology that's like changed the game for you? Yeah, and that, that happened about 2003 to 2006 in the OpenGL um, uh, PC, the graphics. Mm-hmm. And so our, our engine, um, a lot of simulation softwares, you know, use a, an engine that's already created to do animation. Um, so, for example, Automod just inserted a new animation engine into their software, and it's a company who built the engine, and then you can incorporate it into your software. We, we build our engine from scratch. And so we've had to optimize that to run polygons and things in the 3D to make it fast. And uh, when things aren't displayed on the screen, we, we figured out ways not to draw those objects until they're in the screen view to speed up simulation. And in the early 2000s, in the OpenG technology, that really took off. And so, you know, at that point, we were able to really start using the capabilities of the OpenGL. And then when VR, started to come out in the Oculus Rift, we were positioned real real well to incorporate that directly into the software as well. Mm-hmm. So in FlexSim, you know, if you want to, if you have your an Oculus Rift, you can just turn on the Oculus Rift software, plug in your, your headset, and then open up FlexSim and just hit the VR button and you're in the model in VR. And we have a lot of tools on how to build user interface with that 3D world where you can use you know, the hand controllers and the things to pick up things and move things in the 3D space to move around and things like that. So um, those types of technologies have really helped us kind of get where we want to get with Flexium because we've tried over the course of, uh, you know, the last 10, 15 years to be the leader in visualization. You know, there's, you know, Demo 3D has kind of come from a different perspective where they were in the uh, physics world and so they had really nice graphics that when you wanted to run a model, it wouldn't run very fast. Mm-hmm. And we, we kind of come from the other side where we're not 
we don't do the physics-based stuff, but we wanted to have the really nice, you know, animations and uh, abilities to texture things and, and the way the lighting worked. And so, you know, I think with Flex, if you wanted to spend the time to texture and to do the things that you want, you can get, you know, top-of-the-line 3D gaming quality animations with Flex. Um, do you so, feel that um, the physics-based stuff will become important in the future with simulation? Um, I think in discrete event simulation, when you're trying to do throughput analysis and wait time, and when you're doing lean, you know, lean six sigma, and you're looking on how to eliminate waste, I don't think that plays a big role in simulation. I think when you're looking at designing an actual conveyor that may, you know, need to recirculate a different, you know, a say multiple sizes of product and how they fit on and how they tumble or how you singulate product on a, onto a conveyor. I think the physics then is important more as a object design tool and not as a whole system overall design tool. Right. Yeah. We like, I've been looking at doing the physics because of how some of the prod processes work, you know, and hubs and things and packages merging and unmerging and that kind of stuff. So I've been, Curious to see if anyone really is going to get into the physics side of things in simulation. Well, I think Demo 3D is already there. Um, they do a great job of, uh, of that physics side. We've actually uh, done a few models. Where we've taken the Unity engine and linked it up with Flexim and done a few uh, physics models. Um, but they're a little more custom, and you do a lot more programming mm. in that environment. But you can actually add the Unity engine into FlexSim and do physics with it if you'd like. You know, I, we don't have any plan directly to add that FlexSim when there's already a pretty good product out there that you could use with FlexSim to do that. So, so uh, how are you seeing? Like, you know, you've been in you've been in the game for a while now. So how like how is simulation in corporate America changed uses? Is it more widely known than it used to be, less known? Like, how have you seen the dynamic of simulation change? Well, what's funny is uh, it hasn't changed all that much. Back in 1990, when we were selling simulation, we were selling them to engineers, and we are selling it a package at a time. Today, we're selling to engineers, and a lot of times a package at a time. I mean, the thing that's really changed, I think, is if you look at a spectrum of let's say, um, connectivity versus non-connectivity. So mm -hmm. connectivity meaning, you know, everything is connected. Like, uh, you know, if you're using Word and Excel, it connects with all the other softwares that Word and Excel connects to, and you can interchange things. And you can kind of go across the spectrum, spectrum all the way to unconnected, which I look at math is an unconnected <laughs> technology because a math is where you solve a problem single problem usually um it's you know if you if you get into math you learn the rules and you learn how to how to do math um programming is kind of step above math uh programming is really a, a visual math tool i mean what you're doing in programming is you're creating and and trying to to uh, write a program that does math for you calculations things like that simulation software is a step above programming, where now you visualize things through programming. It's a little more connected, but but when you when you look at software and simulation software, um, you're learning 
to program and you're learning to to do math you're learning to do statistical things you're learning to look at wait times and throughput and you're trying to solve an equation that's stochastic in simulation where math is not stochastic it's it's you get the right answer or you don't in simulation you know you start having variability you start having things you got to program to give you variability and so when you look at you know, and you kind of compare this to industry 4.0, the simulation part of it is disconnected from everything else out in the industry. So, you know, I view um, in the future a lot more connection. I, you know, it's, it's more of an approach. In simulation now, you approach it mathematically. Um, in the future, I think that approach is going to change where you approach it more as a system and what am I doing in the process description and less as here's a math problem or here's, you know, how many machines am I going to need to do this? And so I think in the, in the future, you have a lot more people involved doing process documentation where they're actually saying, well, what do I do? I mean, have you ever sat down in your job and had to write a process description of your job? Of my job? No, I have not. Yeah. <laughs> How, how, how hard would that be? I mean, what kind of logic tree uh, would you yeah, have to put would... down and say, you know, if this is my job and this is what I do every day, how do I document the process? Right. Mm-hmm. What the process it is, so whether it's people on the phone or doing everything, you know, you could document that process. And if you could document your process of what you do, uh, basically what you're doing in a simulation model is you're going back and recreating that documentation of a process. What are the rules? What are the characteristics? What are the decisions I have to make when I get here? And as that spans time, those decisions may change. And so um, it, wouldn't it be nice in the future to have some kind of process documentation software that a lot of people could share and they could put in their processes? And as it kind of moves on down the line, um, you start to get into the people who like to do math and like to do things where they can take these processes and combine them and, and basically connect that to a simulation model of some sort. So mm-hmm. instead of building a model and then working your way upstream to go out and find out and document all the processes that go into the model, wouldn't it be nice to go get all the processes first and have it automatically build your model? It's a mm-hmm. whole approach kind of paradigm shift. But, you know, the simulation market as it is, is limited because we're over at that other end of the spectrum where everything's unconnected. and there's only a certain number of people that live in that world who like it. You're one of them. Yeah. Uh, you like to program, you like math, you like to do those things. You get somebody uh, who buys software, you probably know them, you know, doing the, the kind of uh, presentations that you've done that, to test knowing how to do math or how to program or how to, how to, you know, do that kind of stuff. But yet they would love to see a simulation. Right. They just, they just don't want to have to learn how to build it. You know, um, <laughs> Managers are a lot like that. They yeah. don't care what you do. They just want to see it at the end. Right. You know? They want to visualize it. <laughs> so, um, uh, that is it's, a it's, challenge. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so, this is hard to do. And that's extremely difficult for a software company to in the minds of uh, really what people want and document it because the people who work in the software industry are on that spectrum at the math guy, on the programmers. And, um, you know, it's 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 difficult to to say how do we take this technology and push it out to where you have 300 people in a company 
actually working on a simulation and not even knowing it, but by pro by documenting processes. And, you know, the, the fewer now gathering that information to build models a lot more efficiently and a lot more quickly. Um, you know, when you start a when you start a project, what's the first thing you have to do? Well, it depends on the project, but generally you got to figure out, well, what's, what's the, what question are you answering is the first thing you do with right. the project. Right. And then the question is, is now that I know my scope, where it starts and where it ends, what's the process? Right. You got to figure the, out how uh, things what, flow and how machines work and where the data and all the stuff you have to gather to, to make it going. What's, what does it look like? Are there CAD drawings? You got to talk to engineers. There's a bunch of steps. Yeah. So wouldn't it be nice to have all that connected where you had CAD drawings and you had, you had process descriptions. I mean, when people make stuff, it's amazing to me how many companies make stuff without documenting the process and how they make them. Yeah. Documentation is terrible across the spectrum. At least everywhere I've worked is people just don't document. Yeah. And so the simulation guys have disadvantage because now he's got to go to all these people to try to get data and, you know, no one person knows. You may get somebody who knows a lot about this process and nothing about something else that's important. And so you got to go over there and you got to pull it all together. And by the end, the simulation guy knows more about what that business is about than the manager mm-hmm. does. You know? Oh, for sure. And because he's put it together. So, you know, I see, I see a, a need to connect that disconnect and, and, and look at ways of documenting processes that, to then allow you to have data and things ready to build a model much much more quicker, and in some cases maybe even automatically. Yeah, I have I have looked and played with some automatic model building and other packages, and I think there's a good. I think if you did it right, there is a way to do it. It's just doing it right. <laughs> you because you, you, it, it you know simulations tend to be so variable that it's hard to like. Maybe you couldn't build the entire thing automatically, but I think you could build a chunk of it. Yeah, maybe 60%, you know? And, and if you get into conveyor models, they're totally different mm-hmm. than, say, a job shop, you know? Oh, right. And so, so what kind of algorithm builds a conveyor system or a job shop? Well, you can't. you got to write something different. So it basically has to break down an application area as well mm-hmm. as, uh, as other things. And so, you know, those are those are the fuzzy questions out there when people ask, you know, how are you going to position your software? Or how are you going to build the market? You know, there's always going to be a market for process improvement. There's always going to be a market. If we've got an existing process, how do we make it better? Mm-hmm. Or how do we, we've doubled our demand. How do we, how do we add to this process to be able to meet that demand? And there's always going to be material handling projects. We're laying out a new warehouse or we're laying out something and the technology is pretty much proven, but, you know, can we handle the demand? Do we have enough queuing length or do we have enough conveyors or do we have enough people? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, those aren't, those aren't going to go away. Um, um, and those will always be there. Especially with the rapid speed of technology improvements. Because five years ago, self-driving cars weren't a thing and now they are, you know, that kind of stuff. So a lot of what I'm seeing is... Will this technology actually work in a proposed, you know, in a proposed design? That's what I see a lot yeah. of now. There's yeah. a lot of well, a lot of basically hypothesis testing that this new technology will, in fact, work. Right. You know, it's like self-driving cars. I mean, the development of a self-driving car is what? It's full thing of defining the process of the car and making decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it takes years 
to document what we learn in a few months in driver's ed, you know, uh, to have systems working together to be able to do that automatically. And so mm-hmm. it's not an easy task. Um, but when you get it, it, it and again, you're going to no drive, no self-driving car in the future is going to do hundred <laughs> percent perfect driving. You know, right. there's always going to be that percentage that's outlying. It's going to, going to be the problem, you know? Do you do you see a shift in simulation from sort of single shot, you know, process improvement to more of daily use tools? Have you seen any of the, that kind of shift? Um, so the only way that you can really have a daily use tool is if you use it and schedule, right? Um, to, to schedule your facility, and you know, there's there's companies that uh, have, have worked in that area. Scheduling is pretty complex. Um, you know, you can do finite schedules, you can do things, you can get schedules that's going to give you a, a confidence interval, how, mm-hmm. what are you likely to reach it, what, what confidence interval are you going to have. Um, but a lot, of that's, a lot of that's very valuable. You know, one of the most probably lucrative scheduling simulations you could have is of an OR, for example. You oh, can right. schedule an OR to use every free available minute the hospital can bill for that. Uh, but very complex. Every case, you know, doctor be taken out a gallbladder and and accidentally perforate a bowel and end up three more hours in there trying to fix what he messed up, mm-hmm. or they find a, a problem they didn't they didn't expect, but they spend more time trying to fix, and it messes your schedule up. And uh, the same, a lot of the same things in production. But you know, the more automated you get, the more that schedule is correct, but the less likely you need that schedule because it's automated. Right. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, the only, the only, uh, that's almost the only area that, that I can think of where you would use simulation on a daily basis would be to schedule and to plan your facility. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you had a, if, and your model then would have to be pretty accurate. Right. And mm-hmm. a, a model for scheduling is built a lot different than a model is for this process improvement or looking for bottleneck. So, yeah, I built um, a, I built a model that was, it wasn't daily use, but about weekly use for a steel manufacturing company. And what we actually did is we were able to hook it up into uh, uh, SAP and it would pull the current inventory list and it would create pick lists for each order and schedule. So the, the guy who ran the facility could just like hand people like, look, pick these lots for this order and these lots for this order. And it really helped improve stuff. And we were able to, you, cause we, we obviously had some like optimal conditions for picking. So we, you know, our old inventory started getting used up more. So it was a really nice way for us to use simulation to schedule, but also to optimally pick and all this stuff. So uh, that's, I really want to do more of that. And I think that could be a valuable thing in the future for a lot of companies. Yeah. Yeah. But those, as you know, are highly customized mm-hmm. models. I mean, those, that model, you probably spent a long time building that model oh, to yeah. uh, cover all, all the idiosyncrasies of that mm-hmm. system. It's really hard to build a scheduling application that's universal because everything's got to be customized quite a bit. Right. For each, for each job. And so to me, there's companies that can really benefit from that if if the cost of, of the gain is there, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of companies don't have the time or the money to build the model in the first place because it costs more to build than it is just to keep running the same way I am. 
and I'm doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, big, I mean, those big models take what four or six months, depending. Yeah. You know, and that yeah. can be that can be full time work. I mean, I've definitely built. It's definitely taken me six months to build a model, eight hours a day, kind of thing. Yeah. You know what's interesting with simulation is 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 profitability is the uh, the uh, adversary of simulation. If a company is making money. They don't care if they got a lot of waste if they're making money. Right. Um, they can make a lot of mistakes and still make money. They don't. They don't have time to simulate because you know. And then you got the company. Then when they fall on hard times and are just getting by, simulation now becomes too big of an expense because they don't have the money. <laughs> so you know, you got to find that that sweet spot in the company that's uh, that that is value simulation and uses it as a long-term plan. Um, you know, there's a company here in Utah that we've been working with for a couple of years who are making so much money, their layout changes almost on a weekly basis because they're trying to meet demand. And to them, it's cheaper to spend $50,000 a week redoing the layout than it would be to spend $50,000 in waiting two months for simulation to be done. Mm-hmm. Because they don't have that time to react. They don't have that time to wait. They got to react next week, and they'd rather spend three million dollars in a year than fifty thousand dollars to do a simulation to get it right first time. You know, because they're making money. Right. They don't. Uh, they don't see the value of of stepping back and waiting two months to get a better solution that's going to make them more profitable in the future. So hmm. it's kind of interesting when you look at simulation and all the things you know. Over the years, you've seen just about everything. And it's, you know, the technology has really changed. The ability to build models quicker, to build better models, to build more visual models is all there. But the way you sell it and the way it's used and what it's used for hasn't changed all that much. Mm-hmm. So you know? what what is FlexSim doing to try and reduce the uh, model development time? Uh, we're doing a lot of things in customizing modules. For example, a conveyor module to to do things that would take it used to take a lot of programming. So, for example, if you wanted, if you had a, a conveyor where you're picking off a rack, and in the past you know, you had kind of a link up to that conveyor where the operator had to walk to a path point where you had to interface it with a conveyor, and um, you had to put a bunch of path points out there, and it took a lot of time. You know, it's nice just to be able to connect up from a rack to a conveyor in that connection and stretch out the connection or the transfer node mm-hmm. so they can put it down anywhere along that conveyor or pick it up without having to write any code or having to put out one single path point. And so we're looking at ways to speed up the stuff that you have to, that's redundant that you have to do uh, that a lot of products still make you do. Um, and so we're, we're constantly revising our objects to make them smarter, to make them do more things uh, with less code, more pick lists. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to make it possible to build complex logic without having to program anything. Um, but even visual programming is still programming. Still got to know how to make a decision, mm-hmm. this or that, or what if, or, or do this while. Right. Um, so... You know, um, the, the, the ideal simulation would be, hey, you bring your data, you, you throw it in this format, you got a model. <laughs> right. You know, that'd be the ideal. And uh, But I, I don't see it happening anytime soon. 
Would it be possible um, for FlexM, or you know, simulation in general, but uh, um, you know, FlexM to read a CAD drawing and build things on top of that CAD drawing automatically? Like, we do that already. You do that already. We do that already. Yeah. So what you have to do is it's got customized input because every company uh, enters their data differently in a CAD drawing. There's mm-hmm. no real standard. I mean, using AutoCAD, there is some standard there. Um, but you can read the X, Y, Z locations out of an AutoCAD. You can even make connections on conveyors, knowing what you end as a start and the end, and you can automatically connect it up. Um, we did we did a big project for Hytrol where they could read in a drawing of conveyors, and we'd build the model in five seconds and have it all hooked up, and it looked just like the drawing. Um, you know, a lot of companies don't have the data in those drawings to be able to do that, unfortunately. I mean, you can, in any drawing, you can take it and you can create the objects and flex them from the drawing. But, you know, whether you have the connections or any logic, you know, right. you may not have that. You'll have the physical objects out there. But, I mean, that I mean, that helps in general, just getting the physical objects up faster. Yeah, it does. The layout always takes time, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you've got a large conveyor system. It's nice to auto build that so oh, you know, we've done you know we've done we've done quite a bit of work in that area so you can auto build a lot of that stuff uh i mean it probably know, some of our bigger facilities it probably takes me two or three days to draw the entire facility yeah yeah it'd be nice to do that in five minutes wouldn't it yeah yeah it would be <laughs> so you've where do you kind of see like the industry changing as we go forward? You know, where do you expect software like FlexSim capabilities to be in 10 years? Like, is it, we're going to give away all of our secrets now. So, <laughs> so the current simulation market has kind of got two types of products. You've got um, companies who I think are, are very, um, aggressive in providing new technology like any logic. I think Flexim is part of that. Um, and you've got a couple others. And then you've got four or five dinosaurs that uh, are hanging around there that are amazing to me. They're still there. You know, like Arena is one of them. I mean, I, I like Rockwell, but that, that product hasn't changed for 20 years. And it's, it's well, there's not a universities. I, I've been working yeah. with an intern. He's learning arena. And I'm like, why? Yes, exactly. And, you know, professors don't like to change. Once they get a curriculum out there, they don't like to change it, you know? And so it's tough. You know, those guys are going to hang around. And, and so you've got, you got the technology that you use in school and then you got the technology you use in the real world and they're not the same. And so, I think in the future, I think at some point that old technology is going to die and, uh, and, and is going to go away. Or you have to redesign your technology to, uh, to meet the needs of the future. The future is going to be that connectivity. The future is going to be factory 4.0 where everything can read and, and you can transfer data and you can get things without having to go dig it up like you are right now. Um, and, and with FlexSim, the goal is to try to be on the leading edge of that conversion or mm-hmm. even changing the paradigm of how simulation modeling is done uh, to bring it so it's more available uh, to people who, who document their processes up front and kind of like I was telling you. So, you know, is it going to change rapidly? Probably not. It's probably going to be a change that will happen uh, kind of like uh, 
you know, as things evolve, you know, you're, you're going to have a breakthrough here and you're going to have a breakthrough there. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, things, things become a little clearer on what, where you need to go and what you need to do. Now, mm-hmm. Obviously, collaboration is a big thing. You need to have multiple people being able to work on a single project um, without destroying that project. Um, that's that's a, been a problem, you know. Um, you got to be able to have it accessible. You got to be able to input data from a handheld device. You got to be able to link that data, you know, and and work up the ladder where you can where you can do some simple process flow simulations to get a rough idea, and then go into a more detailed simulation later by using that same data, not having to rebuild as you move into a more technical and, and more detailed simulation. And so it's it's a challenge. And so, you know, we have some specific initiatives that we're working on right now that uh, should um, be interesting in the next couple of years as we bring those out uh, to increase that connectivity and and to look at how, you know, simulation, simulation will never be used by a lot of people on a daily basis. It's used, I think, by the... Uh, the people who are actually building the facility and the physical people at the end to really make sure things work. But there's a whole host of people underneath that the design processes and design needs and they design sales processes and the way orders are taken and the combining of the sales process with the order delivery. You know, Amazon is, is, is amazing on, you can put an order in at two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon and it's on your door at eight o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, so they have to integrate that sales process with the delivery process and the order picking and how they how they have to deliver all that and how they have to combine those processes is something simulation has to address because it's not just the physical part you need to simulate. The, the sales process has to be in that model to make sure the hardware works correct. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's kind of fun. It's uh it's, you have to really keep an open mind and, and not stick on a paradigm the rest of your life and say, this is the way we model. You've got to change things. And so, um, you know, over time, I think that the, the first versions of Flexo you saw, you know, 15 years ago, uh, the software now is totally different. You know, I, when I worked at ProModel, and I could probably go back to ProModel today, and it hasn't changed. Um, the paradigm's the same. Mm-hmm. And it's been that way now for 30 years. Uh, with FlexSim, you know, just probably five years ago, it's totally different now in a lot of the way you model with FlexSim than you did five years ago. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be flexible. You have to be uh, looking out in industry. You have to be listening to your customers. And, you know, a lot of times it's really hard to listen to your customer and what they want when you think you know what's best. And uh, you have to kind of get over yourself. <laughs> a little bit and uh, keep an open mind. So have you ever had somebody just like make a model that you're just like, huh, that's a really unique way to do things. <laughs> like have you uh, every ever had one of those or you're just like, Oh, that's weird. So we see them all the time. Uh, I'm amazed sometimes at what people do with the software. I didn't, and I go, oh, man, I didn't know you could do that. Um, <laughs> they figured it out. So there's a lot of people who, you know, I remember seeing a model not too long ago that was just a bunch of cues and processors and it looked horrible, but it did what they wanted it to do. They were simulating some process that uh, that did order taking and order fulfillment 
but yet you'd look at the model and you couldn't tell what it was. It was just a bunch of cues and processors, but they had some kind of logic that went through it. And uh, I thought, wow, that's a unique way of doing that, uh, that kind of model. It didn't use a lot of flexing capability, but <laughs> got the job done. So. Right. So uh, as we sort of start wrapping things up here, what's um, some advice maybe, you know, young professional or kids still in school that you could give them to like help them out in the simulation world or, you know, business world, you know, general advice, kind of that kind of stuff? Well, um, we found that the best people that can do simulation, the people we like to work for us, are proactive in solving problems. Um, a lot of people run into a problem and they complain. You know, for example, um, you're working on a simulation model and you've run into a dead end and you think you found a bug and you quit or you, or you go complain to the tech support group, or, you know, you got a bug in your software, I can't go any farther. Well, sometimes that may be true, but most times there's more than one way to skin a cat. And sometimes you have to be a little bit use a little creativity and imagination to work around the problem and solve it. Mm-hmm. And, and problem solvers are the kind of people that get ahead in life. Um, if you can, you can look at a problem, you can attack it from different angles. Uh, you can, you can understand, you know, try to understand and, and work at it. One of the, one of the models we have at Flexium is a lot of simulation companies shy away from doing the hard stuff. And the hard stuff is material handling. And, you know, very, very complex conveyor logic, um, AGV logic, uh, when you're working with tight tolerances and pallet conveyors, those, those kinds of models are hard to do. Um, they take time. They take some precision. And a lot of companies don't build their software to handle that kind of stuff. And the Flexim, kind of what we have as our model with our developers is when we start talking about new features and things and the first thing is, man, we have no idea how to implement that. Well, good. That means it's something that's hard, and so let's do it, and let's figure it out. And so, you know, we want to be known as a software that can tackle the tough simulation projects. You know, we want to be the software that can do the complete Bed Bath & Beyond distribution center in Connecticut that has, you know, 350,000 ticks a day and they run all kinds of stuff and the model actually works and doesn't break down. Mm-hmm. And we want to be, you know, we want to be to the level where if you, if you got something hard to do, we can do it. And, you know, it's going to take effort sometimes, but we can do it. And if we can't do it, we need to fix our software so it can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, you can simulate the easy stuff, you know, the, the, the simple manufacturing processes, you know, fairly easy with any package, but when you really get into hard stuff that has to be visually correct and look good, um, we want to be that company that a company turns to and a company that can create unique objects that they can use in their own library and, and pass it around their own company and have things that they use uh, that's unique to them. Because every company has unique processes. That's what gives them an advantage in industry is because you do something differently and you need to have a software where you can model those unique processes and, and be able to do it and have it work and not just have a basic process. And that's all you get. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we pride ourselves in, in trying to be on the bleeding edge of technology, but also try to make that, that cut 
go away quicker <laughs> by making it easier to use, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, linking the PLC, you know, and building modules to, to link up, you know, real time control is important. We've got those, you know, developed and underway, uh, being able to visually look at your stuff and make it look good. Uh, you know, that's important to flex him. Uh, so, you know, there's, a, there's some good competitors out there, and it helps drive each other. And I think, you know, if you look at the top three out there, I think you've got AnyLogic, you've got FlexSim, and you've got Simeo, I think, are the, are the top three mm-hmm. that are, are making a difference in the simulation market. And, you know, we want to be one of those three. We want to be one of the top two. We want to be the top company, you know. So we're going to keep pushing. Well, awesome. Uh, well, I... We're about uh, at our time, so um, really appreciate you coming out. Um, anytime you want to come back and talk some more simulation, you're always welcome. And uh, listeners, thanks for tuning in to SimTalk. Uh, you can check out our Patreon at broken, or patreon.com forward slash brokenjars. Email us, brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. And we will see you guys next time.